0: Good morning, everybody. (laughs) Good morning. What a gorgeous morning. It's so good to see all of you here today. Um, My name is Dion, and I just want to welcome you all to Crossroads. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you give us absolutely everything that we need to know who you are, to walk and live and receive life in a way glorifies you. Um, Lord, I just pray that more about you today, your Holy Spirit, what it means, how your purpose for the church, your purpose for this church, for every single person sitting here today, so far beyond anything that we can think or imagine. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you so much um, that you will speak powerfully through Bill. Um, as we start our day off in worship, we can settle our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say each one, to each one of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: For those of you who don't know me, hey, welcome, by the way. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. Today's an exciting day for us, by the way. Uh, we're continuing a series that we're in, and today we're talking about acting out at Pentecost. Uh, This was an event that happened 2,000 years ago. But before we go there, I want to talk about kind of the foundation of the series that we're in. It's called Acting Out. Now, uh, they'll put the definition up for you here in a second. Uh, Acting Out normally is seen in our culture at the bottom to behave badly in a socially unacceptable way. That's acting out. That's what we see. If you're not sure of what that is after this, go to Walmart and look for... (laughs) And look for kids acting out. You'll have no problem recognizing them. They'll be the ones wallowing on the floor screaming because they didn't get their favorite cookie. They'll be acting out. Uh, But we're talking about a different kind of acting out. We're talking about Jesus acting out through us. The second one, acting out as a Christian, is in situations to be able to behave as Jesus would in our lives, in our trials, in our failures, and in our relationships with others. When we, our goal is to act out Jesus, for him to act out through us. These two verses give us the foundation of our series that when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us that we'll be talking about today, we'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, we'll be witnesses. Not just witnessing, speaking the truth of Jesus Christ, but we'll say this every week. Our life is our witness first and foremost. If our life does not have a witness of Christ inside of us, we really shouldn't share verbally with someone else because they're going to look and uh, be very concerned. So the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And also, when we make the decision to lay our lives down for Christ, the radical term is to be crucified with Christ. We actually choose to lay our lives down for Him as He laid His life down for us. When we do that, god comes through jesus christ and lives in us and through us so really this acting out is not us it's the holy spirit and jesus christ in us acting out in a specific way so that's what our series is about now the last song uh let me tell you about my jesus that is a was written by a 15 year old girl and what you heard the words was she was acting out Christ was acting out true here she just lost her brother in a tragic accident loved great relationship between them and so she made a decision that God was still in charge that Jesus was still Jesus so she didn't go and blame God get her you know get her fist in God's face and, and everything went wrong she trusted him and then so she writes this song let me tell you about my Jesus Let me tell you about this Jesus that comforted me in my loss. I encourage you, if you haven't uh, uh, heard her story, you can go to YouTube, uh, call up the song, uh, and and you'll hear her heart as she expresses uh, her trust in God. She was literally acting out Jesus in that song. Uh, So that's where we start today. Uh, You know, if you are a visitor, uh, we're in our third week of this series entitled Acting Out, uh, it's about the radical change. And make, make sure I make that point. There's a radical change that takes place in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ when we are crucified with him. We talked about this uh, a little while ago, this radical change of a life. Uh, in Corinthians will say that all things have passed away. All things become new. Uh, the transformation, we may not notice it. We talked a couple weeks ago. We may not notice it on the outside, when I became a Christian, no one saw anything different. They, they saw me the way I was. But on the inside, uh, everything had changed spiritually. And slowly but surely in my life and in the life of every follower of Christ here, things start to change. They're different for each person because we're all unique in God's plan. Some people have a miraculous flip the switch and boom, there they are, halo around their head. Well, I have a halo around my bald head right now from reflection. But I, I do not have a holiness halo around my head. And I didn't immediately either. But, but over a very short period of time, addictions to alcohol, to nicotine, to foul language, to foul thoughts started to go away. And they're still going away. It's an ongoing process of transformation as Jesus lives out through. Every follower in Christ here knows exactly what I'm talking about. Things change may not be seen on the outside immediately, but eventually attitudes change. We start to behave as Jesus would in our lives. It's not us. Take no credit for it. It has to be Jesus working through us. So what we're doing is we're talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit working through us in each of these areas so we can act like Jesus, and that's the goal. Now, the title, Acting Out at Pentecost, talks about what happened 2,000 years ago. On a feast of Passover, or excuse me, of uh, uh, of uh, Pentecost, when all the Jews were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate this mandatory feast, this this feast uh, uh, of Pentecost celebrated two things. It celebrated first the end of the harvest. Uh, it's going to come here uh, again in June. I think it's June 3rd. The, the feast of Pentecost will be celebrated by Jews all over the world. The harvest will be in. The hard work will be done. They'll, so they'll have a celebration time of that. But it also celebrates something very important. It also celebrated the giving of the law. When Moses came down from the mountain with the two tablets with the Ten Commandments written on it, this celebrates that moment of the law being given. And, of course, when the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells a follower of Christ, we still have the Scripture, we still have the Word, but now it's written in our heart. Very many times in the Scripture, it talks about God will write his word on our hearts hearts of flesh will have the word of god imprinted and that also took place at the day of pentecost but but how did all this start and i'm just going to take a couple weeks back and and come forward from there uh we started two weeks ago uh with the baptism of jesus and we talked about that from there we talked about his first three years from the baptism on it was a rocket ride for jesus going around miracles were taking place teachings announcing the kingdom of god here on earth and then finally at the end of the three years he's entered jerusalem on palm sunday as a conquering messiah of course that wasn't his intent to conquer in a physical military sense his purpose was to conquer at the cross to spiritually establish the kingdom of god so uh as we talked about that uh he went through that events and And then at the end of that, he was crucified, and he rose from the dead. He gathers his disciples together, uh, and he's been with them for 40 days. uh, And he's been showing them many convincing proofs that he's alive. They touched him. They walked with him. They ate with him. uh, All of these different things. Uh, But they'd all come together at the last time. and He was just about ready to leave, and they're going to go up. And he gathers them on a place called the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is, is, is a unique place because what a prominent part it plays inside the Bible. Uh, they gathered together and they asked him, will this be the time? This is disciples. This, by the way, this, this down below, that's the Mount of Olives. It's in Jerusalem. It's two miles uh, from, if you will, the main temple area that's there. You can look over and see it when I was there. Right below this picture, oh, by the way, there are tens of thousands of white marble tombs that over the millennium thousands and thousands of years kings of israel were were buried there uh schindler famed fame for schindler's list the jewish nation asked as an honor to him to have him planted there and the whole nation turned out because of the jews he saved in world war ii uh, recent premiers are, are are buried there very but that's below it on on the far left is a temple from a or not a temple a tower From from a church that's existing in that modern-looking building is a hospital. This is this is a piece of real estate. It was two miles from Jerusalem. It's like us in Bee Mountain. Uh, We can look out there. There's Bee Mountain, Jerusalem. You look out. There's the Mount of Olives. It becomes so important because this is where Jesus took his disciples. And when he took his disciples out there, uh, he says they they asked, "Is is this going to you going to set up your kingdom?" He said, "No, God's taking care of that." He says, "But you," tells his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what we're talking about. And you will be witnesses all over the world, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And as they were looking on, he gives them his final word. And that's, I'm sorry, I'm I'm a weirdo, so don't go weird with me here. But here's these disciples who dearly loved him. This is a ragtag group of tax collectors and fishermen and, and just a group of guys and gals by the way that were fully present and followed jesus and he says his thing and then he rises wouldn't i love you know how to wire the ceiling somehow and i could be lifted up into promised land that's where the kids are uh through the ceiling wouldn't that be just awesome but it would just be all fake his wasn't fake he rises by his power up back into heaven Two angels are standing there and his confused, dazed followers were going, whoa, whoa, we do we huh? will, And he said, what are you doing standing there? Go out and get to work. Go do what he told you to do. And so this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension that took place into heaven. And he says, uh, he's taken up from you uh, into heaven, and he will come in the same way that you saw him go. Huge deal. I, I put this up the Mount of Olives. Because something's going to happen there, I believe in the very near future, Jesus is going to come back to the Mount of Olives. Just the angel says, just as he went up, he's going to come back to the exact same place. Jesus will return, and when he returns, his feet will come to the Mount of Olives. He says that day, uh, he, he, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives that lies uh, before Jerusalem, uh, on the east, and, and it will be split in two. I think I'll read it. Uh, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and it will split in two from east to west, uh, and a wide valley will form. Get the picture. Zechariah 14.4. When, when, when Christ comes back, uh, he's going to put his feet on that mountain. It's going to split east to west. When he comes back, he will come from heaven to earth just the way he went and the bible says that those who everyone will see him every eye will see and i believe many people here in my opinion will be alive and will see that it won't be on tv worldwide we'll hear the trumpet there'll be the voice of the archangel from heaven and then jesus christ will descend uh Revelation 19 describes this return as the bride of Christ. His followers are gathered to him. The dead in Christ rise first. Those who are alive will be transformed and come with him. And he will rule and reign here on earth for 1,000 years. Whoa. The curse will be reversed. It'll be a whole different world when he comes back and establishes it. behold he is coming with the clouds every eye will see him even those who pierced him all the tribes of the earth will mourn this is christ's return now he brought them to this point they're raised up but he gave them some last words and so this is what sets the stage that we launch from uh while staying with him he ordered them not to depart from jerusalem don't don't leave jerusalem uh but wait till the promise of the father he said you've heard from john baptized with water but you'll be baptized with the holy spirit and actually john the baptist said you'll be baptized with the holy spirit and fire not many days from now you'll receive power baptized to dip to be immersed to be overwhelmed by the holy spirit you'll receive power dunamis it's the word uh that we we get dynamite from an inherent power residing inside of them to perform miracles next week we're going to be talking about the miracles then and now that the, the, the uh, that christ will perform through his followers so he says stay here until you get it stay here until His power comes upon you and so now we go from the ascension 10 days later that was 40 days 50 days later is the feast of pentecost and we're told that they're all gathered together there was 120 people followers of christ think about that three years of ministry feeding tens of thousands of people all the miracles the raising the dead all the things that he did at the end he had 120 followers but these 120 followers had walked with him for three years these 120 followers had left everything to be with him they walked thousands and thousands of miles as a band of followers to, following their rabbi as he taught them even in route uh, remember, it was foot speed uh, that took place. No one pulled them over with a black and white car or chariot and gave them a ticket. They were walking. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, now imagine, we have probably got 150 or so people, maybe 200, I don't know today, uh, sitting here. Imagine that this took place today in Ridgecrest, California. Uh, the... There came a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled everything. It just roared through. Now, Ridgecrest, are we familiar with wind? I'm just asking. A few gusts uh, taking place. And it divided tongues. A fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues. They began to speak in tongues. Very controversial topic today. They were speaking in other languages that other people could understand. They were speaking in languages to the people from all over the Roman Empire who had gathered with them. They sat there. What's going on? This is nine o'clock in the morning that this took place. That's, by the way, the time of the morning sacrifice in Israel every day. They had one at nine o'clock in the morning. Who was there? Uh, Obviously, the disciples, minus Judas. But there were the women. His mother would have been there. His brothers, half-brothers, would have been there. Uh, There would have, Mary Magdalene would have been there. Mary probably would have been telling her story about going to the tomb and something along the lines, well, when you guys were cowering back behind locked doors, we went to the tomb, not rubbing it in or anything, but she would have been telling her story about how Jesus just said the word Mary. And she recognized his voice. He was so marred from the crucifixion that she didn't recognize him physically. But the voice of Jesus, she heard and understood right away who it was. And the two uh, disciples that had gone to Emmaus and he had Jesus had met them and told them all of these uh, fulfilled prophecies of his life, they were all there. They were telling Jesus stories about what had happened. They were encouraging each other just as when often Christians get together and we'll be at a Bible study or something and all of a sudden people start talking about Jesus and what he's done in their life. That's what we're supposed to do, <laughs> tell Jesus stories and how he's changed our lives Uh So they're going back and forth on this. But but what took place, what power, what love, what joy, uh, when all this came upon him, he said, it happened. Well, exactly what happened. I I prefer when I can to defer to someone who's more articulate than I am. And and we're going to listen to a guy that we call spoken gospel. We've heard him quite often. Uh, He's going to describe Pentecost to us.
2: This is a story with a beginning, middle, and end. Though, to begin, we must start in the midsection with the primitive lesson, following the illuminative, glossal procession out of heaven into the apostles' elevated haven. You remember that incarnational conversation when tongues from the north came to the south, when that which abides in a throne room came to a house, when that muscle that sits on the floor of the mouth became combustible, arose and began to arouse the lips of the apostles as their entities espoused. You remember that day in the upper loft, that day when the line between utterance and understanding was finally crossed, the day when the fusion of dialect and discernment was finally embossed, the day linguistics' languish ended and Babel lost, it's the first day man spoke undivided since he was formed from the dust, it's the day our tongues' chains were broken, when language finally paid its pent-up cost, it's the day that was called Pentecost, when Peter hawked up the gospel for the first time ever chronicled. He brought this inexplicable spectacle that was only recently made communicable. But the crowd was multilingual and Peter, a Hebrew, only spoke the language of his people. And so though the crowd had ears, it was inescapable that his message would prove to be unattainable. and incomprehensible, his information imperceptible, his utterances undesirable, the gospel ungettable. Imagine this obstacle, for it is incalculable, that the only message that makes our souls immortal, the only news that makes our beings eternal, the only words ever mentioned that were even worth mentioning were now made unmentionable. But that didn't stop God from getting a little Pentecostal. For those flaming tongues from heaven left their impression. Those embered muscles from the stars left their marks. For when the apostles opened their monosyllabic harps, some miracle did impart. So that when the people heard the words as the disciples made their remarks, the people heard it in the language that they learned when their language first got its start. And so the people heard the gospel and the people were cut to the heart. And so it has been ever since the event that marked the genesis of evangelism's arc. It is vocabulary that guards men's ears from hearing the gospel's sharp dart. Therefore it is with dialect we must do battle, it is semantics we must bombard, for even our enemy knows to hear the word in your heart language is to hear the word in your heart. But this is just the middle. And before I tell you the end, let me go back to where our story begins we have not always been a slave of communication, conversation's victim. Before we can understand how the tongue became our enemy, we must trace the etymology of our vocalization. You see, we, the leaves, the trees, the bees, the plants, the ground, the stars, the breeze, we were all preceded we were superseded. For before we could be, God had to write the dictionary. He had to vocalize vocabulary so the world would be a home and words would be the masonry. It is with language that we were created. But it's also with language that we were excommunicated. For it wasn't how the fruit shined or because it was sacred that motivated even Adam from God's law to be emancipated. No. It was the words of a serpent. It was a snake's articulation that instantiated the sentience of rebellion in the mind of God's first cultivated. Yes, it was language that persuaded all mankind to be gated from the garden, and it would be language that would drive all mankind into further dispersion. For after Eden's desertion, mankind became a rabble, rebelling against every law of God with which he could grapple. Then man became a city to which all men traveled to show their power through a tower that would later be called Babel. For it was in this city citadel that man's tongue became his shackle as ears divorced from lips and language became baffled. By language we were created and then by it excommunicated and like the pause between a comma, by words we were separated. But this story has three stages, and I've only told you the first two parts. How in the beginning our lives incurred a debt to which our lips suffered the loss. In the middle, when the Son bore the cross, His Spirit paid in full, our tongues pent up cost. But there will come an end, when language will begin again and our throats and mouths will be washed. On that day, every tribe and every nation, every tongue and every language will be recreated in the conformity of our Savior, and it won't just be our physiques that will be completely retweaked, but our gums, teeth, and cheeks will be so overhauled that the formal will look like an antique, and our ears won't just hear syllables and squeaks, but we will be open to new spectrums of rhythms, movements, and beats. Yes, our mouths will be reborn, our tongues will be made complete, and from eternity to eternity, it will be with God's dialect that we all shall speak.
1: I wish you'd get a little more enthusiastic. Uh, <laughs> language. Lost in the garden. Created where we can communicate with God. Lost in the garden. Uh, Babel separates the nations among themselves. Uh, put back together again. There will be a time, by the way, and I look forward to it. We sang a little while ago some of the words of the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. We'll stand in the presence of God and, and we'll, we'll express, communicate, trans Bring out our, our worship of holy, holy, and it will be heard pure and clear, not only with God, but everyone else there will we'll communicate in such a way that's clear, perfect, and pure to the people around us. We'll hear God's heart. He'll hear our heart. Uh, that's in the future where we can speak to other people. That Now we use words, but words are so inadequate to express my love for my wife, my love for my kids, uh, my, my desire to serve God. Words don't cut it. There'll be a time when that's all gone. But what happened at the day of Pentecost was a kickstart, a jumpstart. I mean, jump started your car with some battery cables. This was a jumpstart. The people at Pentecost were sent out into the world. Uh, they were dwelling there, divide, devout men from every nation. Because if you were a Jew, you would be returning to jerusalem for the feast it was mandatory at certain times that you would return to them and so this is what we just read about they were all hearing them speaking in their own tongue but this is the this is the roman empire there were there was almost a million people uh probably nine hundred thousand of them were visitors to jerusalem at the time of pentecost and they went back to their home countries they went back to where they were and they carried the message that we're going to be talking about today the message of jesus christ his life, his death, his resurrection, and the hope of life of eternity inside of him. Uh, they went back. The, the message when we were told to, to go to all the world and, and preach the gospel, it's got a jump start on the first Pentecost. Um, again, the law was transformed from written on scrolls and, and rock and stone to being written on the heart of the people. They carried it with them just as followers of christ today carry the words of god in their heart and so they gathered together the fire came down the wind blew stuff happened the the disciples stumble into the street the crowds and remember that the streets would have been packed if you've ever been to a large city on a holiday time and a shopping it's just packed with people you're picking that would have been pentecost in jerusalem and so the, the disciples fall in there. Now, this, seeing the flames here there, and I'm sure if they had a fire department, they would have called them uh, going there. This was weird doings in downtown Jerusalem. And so uh, the question that had to be on their lips and in their mind was, what does this mean? This is craziness going on. Uh, the people were amazed and astonished, saying, oh, "These are just Galileans. These are, these are, matter of fact, not even from a good part of Jerusalem. These are Galileans." And how is it we each hear our own uh, native language? They're telling with this, uh, telling us in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They were amazed, perplexed, saying, "To one, what does this mean?" And of course, one of the natural responses that uh, was, "Well, they're all drunk." You ever been <laughs> I've been to parties where people are drunk enough; it sounds like they're talking in tongues. But let's let's not go there. Uh, so people were mocking them. They're just they're just a little, was, you know, drunk or smoking wacky backy today. Something that was, was that was distorting them and what was going on. So I like that. But anyway, so uh, they say, no, no, what what was going on? This is a holiday celebration, but everything changes. All heaven breaks loose here on earth. We use the expression, "All hell breaks loose." All heaven broke loose. And, and came down and started occupying and living inside the disciples. This, the response is, what does this mean, is answered by Peter, the fisherman. Peter stands up. Peter, who was hiding behind doors. Peter, who had denied Jesus three times. Peter, the, the leader. And he stands and he addresses them with great confidence and boldness. This is the Holy Spirit acting out through him. Uh, to the crowds that were there, so he lifts up his voice. I, again in the video, I, I was didn't want to show that video for one reason. I didn't like the expression. He hawked up the gospel for the first time, but that's he says the gospel. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. For these people aren't drunk as you suppose. It's it's only nine in the morning. This is and he starts quoting a prophecy that was given by the apostle. Joel, or the prophet Joel, hundreds of years before. And now, how did Peter get this wisdom? How did Peter start immediately, and if you watch the whole speech of Pentecost, go from verse to verse to verse to verse, to verse making his points? He was able to do that because he walked three years with Jesus. Hours and hours on the road just listening to him. Sleeping, talking, over meals, interacting watching him do all these things he learned every time jesus gave a teaching to the crowds the multitudes he would take his disciples aside and he would tell them because they had ears to hear he said the crowd they're just here for the show you guys are here to learn so he would take them aside that's like us when we open our bibles in the morning or evening and and we want to hear what god is really saying he's telling us he's taking us aside and that's what he did with his disciples so they learned but also after his resurrection, he, he met with two of the disciples going to a place called Emmaus, a village. And in that short walk, he explained all of the Old Testament prophecies that described him. He said, hey, I'm the Isaiah 53. I'm the servant that was sacrificed. Uh, Psalms 22. Look at this. They pierce my feet, my hands, they gamble for my clothes. Did you all see that? And so he's unpacking all of the Old Testament prophecies about him, and that's what, that's what Peter is passing on. He's acting out, as Jesus would, and telling him what's going on. God declares this, and he continues throughout his talk to use prophecy. Peter was spring-loaded to the preach position because of what he had learned and that the Holy Spirit was in him at this time. He speaks truth and... He gets in their face, preaching without fear. He says, men of Israel, now now understand this crowd, this mob, this group of people were the same ones that called it Jesus be crucified. They were totally guilty, and he's going to point that out to them. He's going to say, you killed him. He's in their face. Now, this crowd could have just as easily, like they've done before with other other saints later and before, they could have just stoned him. And that's stoned in the biblical sense, with rocks. So they didn't do that. Jesus, he says, this Jesus, a man, attested, the word attested, to show, to prove, by argument, to demonstrate. This man, Jesus, who was proved to you uh, by God with mighty works, the miracles that took place, the wonders that took place, the signs that took place, feeding thousands, walking on water, calming storms, uh all of these things raising the dead all of these mighty works you know about them because it was the it was the talk everyone went around to hear about this jesus you know this this jesus delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of god the death of jesus christ was not an accident the bible tells us he was the lamb slain before the foundation of this world this plan was in place through jesus christ from the beginning and, and definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You, oh, you crucified him and killed by the hands of lawless men. You killed him. You chose a thief over Jesus. You screamed crucify him. And that's what they did. They chose this in front of Pontius Pilate. Killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him from the dead just this defeat of death man's enemy that stalks every one of us everyone here and everyone in history death is defeated because christ overcame it at the cross it's not possible for him to be held by it let all the house of israel know for certain that god has made both lord and christ lord the name given to god and christ the messiah that came to fulfill the promises that's that's what this means. That is what's taking place there. So they, they said, okay, what, is, what does this mean? That's okay, that's good. Then he asked another question. What does this mean? What should we do? What should we do? He's, he's got their attention. He's talking to them. What shall we do? Peter is ready with an answer. He says, what does this mean? What shall we do? When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, with the rest of the apostles brothers brothers what shall we do Uh, he's very straightforward repent repent a very simple word we throw it around Uh, but the real meaning of repentance metatona is to change one's mind to abhor past and present sins to see our lives of sin the disciples then the people he's talking to to abhor our sin you know it's i this is the this is the this is the hard part in 2022 when everyone thinks we're good people when everyone thinks we can justify and rationalize we keep a high self-image no matter what our behaviors our thought lives and our activities he says to repent to turn and go the other way to change one's mind and this is to be baptized to be buried into christ's death to be raised again To a new life repent and be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the holy spirit you will receive what we just received when you're baptized and raised again that's a promise to them it's a promise to us today what shall we do repent john the baptist his first words repent jesus first recorded sermon the first words repent Peter speaking for the church, the first words that is so rarely spoken in 2022 in churches is repent, turn from our ways. Boy, if a nation ever needed to repent, that might be us today. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized into Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit come and dwell in us. What was the result of this message? 3000 people became followers of Jesus Christ. The world was transformed a revolution started that is still continuing to this day this series that we're in has 12 messages the first eight are from the book of acts talking about what god did in that first you know couple hundred years of transforming the world but the last four messages are what he's doing in 2022 the holy spirit hadn't stopped He's still working to individual people. He's still blessing people with gifts, talents, and abilities. He's still transforming lives by the Holy Spirit that we might have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. The people are to know us, if you will, because of who we are. The church, the body of Christ, was born on the day of Pentecost. God's tool, method method for reaching the world was through a group of believers like you and me. Who would join together loving christ enough and loving our neighbors enough to go out and change the world and this is a picture of them they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the fellowship the breaking of bread meals prayers together and listen to this and awe came over every every soul because the miracles the things that were happening the miracles of course of of healing people and all the things we're going to talk about next week but the real miracle of christ is not The the outside, it's what happens to every believer on the inside. We go from prideful, controlling, to submissive and humble. We go from selfish of seeking our own needs to seeking the needs and meeting the needs of others. We go from loving ourselves as we're instructed to today to loving God and our neighbor. This is the transformation. Instead of holding grudges, we forgive. Instead of getting even, we bless our enemies. This is a change and a transformation from the inside. These people gathered together with all the signs, but the main sign was their lives. They believed they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Remember that the the tens of thousands of people who came in and this three thousand and next week five thousand will join their group most of them were away from their their home they weren't at their homes they were visiting on holiday if you get stuck in new york city on a a big holiday you have no place to go you need to you need to have friends you need to have peeps that you can hang out with that'll feed you and take care of you and that's what they were doing and this is not socialism don't let don't let bernie and his crew tell you that sorry no political comments here uh socialism is when they force you this is a voluntary action of people selling what they own that's capitalism and taking care of other people like we should be doing today uh and it because they did that with gladness and generous hearts praising god having favor with all the people if the church would act like the church we wouldn't have enough chairs and the lord added to their number that day those being saved koinia this mystical relationship that forms and holds the church the church what we're really going to be talking about for the next several weeks is the church we're going to go back to to david bowden and we're going to let him describe the church
2: This is the story of how God Almighty went on an eternal search that was born of love and cost his blood, the story of his holy church. We were at first disembodied. Our limbs and bodies were active practitioners of misanthropy. We were fingers without hands, wrists with no arms, shoulders without chest, parts without form, heels with no foot, knees with no leg, toes with no step, appendages with no head. We were lost in stranded wanderers, doomed to die alone. But that was before God graciously left his throne. For eons ago, in the space and time where only eternity grows, the only truly unity. Unified body existed in divinity, and it is forever known as the Trinity. Now this celestial anatomy, this father, son, and spirit assembly, this family of one, yet panoply of many, is and was and will forever be the only hope for humanity. For it is and was and will forever be the only true embodiment of unity. So the perfect body, the perfection expression of the one of three, took up flesh and took on immortal life, and he is and was and will forever be known as Christ. But for many, something didn't seem right. For if this Son, this God, this Savior, this King was the hope for the world, why is he dying on this tree? If he was to renew our bodies, why is his being torn apart? If he was to give us eternal life, why is his ending among thieves and guards? But these questions were asked by those who only see wounds as scars. For as he was torn, we were mended. As he was ashamed, we were perfected. As he was ripped, we were sewn. As he was opened, we were closed. And though the one true body is back on his throne, you may know that the one true body lives on here below. For his body did rise, yet in leaving it did not die, but lives on in the church, the unified body of Christ. But it wasn't just for a body that God sent his son to die. It was for an eternal companion. It was for a bride. As it is written, it is for this reason that man shall leave his father and hold fast to his wife. So the son left the father so that the two may become one flesh, may become one life. And though there is but one husband, we are of much flesh, red and yellow, black and white, Baptist Lutheran Church of Christ. Yet no matter the color or affiliation of one of 10,000 racial, economical, or denominational stripes, when we became Christians, we left our fathers for the husband and we all form the bride of Christ for we were 10,000 weak 10,000 undone, but now the church is becoming the bride and 10,000 with Christ shall be made one but God's goodness was not then done, his plan not yet complete, for he wanted to live with his new bride so he made his wife a building now we are living stones Breathing bricks, laughing lumber, surviving sticks Built bit by bit, inch by inch Together with every Christian the groom admits Together we knit one on top of the other As we submit around the pillars of the apostles and prophets All coming to sit on the one foundation of Christ The structure's magnet We are the church, the only building No force in heaven nor on earth could purge The ark that holds the eternal God, the temple that trembles with his spirit's surge. And so I urge you, you body, you bride, you building, you church, to not abandon, profane, or neglect God's church, his perfect work. Fight boldly for the body, love deeply the bride, live wholly in the building, for I tell you, we are for what Christ has died. We are the assembly of the saints, the congregation of the upright, We are where heaven inhabits, we are the fold of Christ. We are the branch of God's planting, the meeting of the firstborn. We are heaven and earth's family, we are the heritage of the Lord. We are the chosen people, we are the holy nation. We are the royal priesthood, God's special reclamation. We are the temple, we are the city, we are the vineyard, the sanctuary. We are the body, we are the pride, we are the building, we are the church. We are the construction of eternities, eternal holy work. So we will never dismember the flesh. We will never divorce the wife. We will never dismantle the house. We will never dismiss the price, but we'll lay everything down for our everlasting tribe, for we are the church. We are the people of Christ. Too often,
1: we forget God's simple plan. Followers of Christ, working together, being transformed, changing the world. Today, as a, as a church, we're, uh, we're small, we're in Ridgecrest, small town, but we're the church. We're part of something that is going to l- exist for all eternity. The invitation to become part of what God is doing in the world through his church. Today, we have multiple people serving. We've got people up in promised land teaching kids about Christ. We've got servants down here. We've got a team of people in Mexico building a house for a family down there. Another group of Christians down there didn't have a home that that was adequate for them. So we have a crew down there building it. How thankful we are uh, for outreaches like that, multiple. We do so many things in town. We're the church. We're the church. Well, what's the application for you and me on the day of Pentecost that uh, took place 2,000 years ago? Well, actually, it's pretty simple. What shall we do? The disciples were asked at that time. Peter said, repent. If you're here and this is your story, this is where you're at, and it's time to to fully come to Christ, to, to lay down our lives, repent, be baptized in the name of Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, this gift is for everyone, so it's an offer. It's a constant offer. Now, for those who are here that are followers of Christ, we have a command too. It says, be filled with the Spirit. We're filled. He's in. He's resident, but sometimes we can stifle him. Sometimes we can grieve him feed him through his word Uh, let him flow through us in gifts uh, addressing one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs making melody in our heart live the life of christ let him act out through us to the world around us submitting serving and loving one another in remembrance of christ because that's what he did for us that's god's example through christ to the church his body his bride. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that the invitation was so clear. You proposed marriage to your church on the cross. And Lord, we hear your love. We see your sacrifice. We see your outreach. Lord, to those who have said yes, we give thanks. Lord, continue to use, to educate, to uh, live through us that we might change the world we live in that's your plan and for those who have not made that decision may today be that time that starts a journey to find out the truth is in christ when we ask what shall we do repent believe and be filled thank you that that's your plan I pray in christ's name amen. amen and again thank you for being here uh classes tonight sign-ups in the back the prayer corner is over here for anyone who would like prayer Thanks for coming.